0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I said some weeks ago that I enjoyed a love-hate relationship with Augustine. I gather there were some texts flying out of this room at that time. I know the root of that love-hate. I am in some ways, minus the brilliance and the intense spirituality, very much like St. Augustine, and I don't like that. (laughs) With St. Francis, who is very much like St. Augustine, or was, a child of privilege who was brought up to enjoy the three Ps, power, prestige, possessions, and to that add partying. I'm sure Augustine didn't party, he really lived in his head. But uh, Francis really lived out in the world He enjoyed much the same privileged lifestyle until also his life was decisively changed, and he then turned out very, very much differently than his predecessor. So unlike St. Augustine, I would very much like to be like St. Francis, but I can't. His life was too hard and his heart too tender for me to even try to imitate him. But there is no one else in the Christian community who I more cherish, and I understand why so many refer to him as the second Christ. Francis was born to privilege in 1181 in Assisi, in Umbria, center of Italy. His father, Pietro Bernardone, was a merchant, so he was in the middle class in those days, unlike These days, the middle class did very well. (laughs) We'll pursue that. As I say, he lived a very high life. He was dressed well, he ate well, he dined well. But in 1202, when, for whatever reason, Assisi was caught up in a battle with Perugia, uh, Francis succumbed to the temptation to extend his life onto the battlefield, he joined the elite Compagnia de Cavalieri. The flash of steel, however, the flash and clash of swords quickly became the clanking of iron chains. The battle was short, Perugia won, and Francis was dragged through the piazza on his way to defeat. The time in confinement opened Francis' eyes to suffering and a change of focus which drew him to the light, the light that shone in his life and in turn brought him ultimately to serve his Lord. Francis was a saint. As Ron Rollheiser remarks, he was also an artist. And on that day in 1202, when after a long struggle with the hounds of heaven and the call that came from the Lord, Francis, you are to rebuild my church. If you've seen, there was a literal church that Francis was in called the Portioncola, a little portion, very little church. Francis took it literally and started to rebuild that church. You can see it, it would fit nicely within this church right here. It sits within a massive basilica that has been built, one of many, to honor Francis. Well, Francis didn't know any of that was coming. And his inner battle led him to basically step out of that life of privilege and on a day in 1202 to step out of the bishop's palace in Assisi into the piazza there naked with all his worldly belongings, his money, and his clothes in his hands, and he handed them over to his father and said, my father is now in heaven. With that, he gave us an image. He was a saint, but an artist, and the church has got 700 very good years from that image. We, in our time, have saints, and we have artists, one or the other. Mother Teresa was a saint, but she was not an artist, as Rolheiser expounds. And we have plenty of artists in our time, but whether they are anybody's idea of a saint, I'll leave for another time. We still think of saints as ascetics, not artists, aesthetics. Aesthetes, rather, leaving the world and its pleasures and journeying out to the middle of the desert not aesthetes delighting in the glories of the world we see and hear around us. And if all Francis did was to head out of town that day, start life over again, subsisting on God's mercy in some very harsh circumstances, and circumstances were never harsh enough for St. Francis, and gather a few followers, even a few thousand, who were inspired by his example of downward mobility, if that was enough, then that and a few miracles might have got him his sainthood. The church then has now needed such saints. Those who heard and obeyed Jesus call to his disciples, which we have heard this morning, go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. There is a heroic idealism to this. We would call it madness. Suicide, And it was lambs in the midst of wolves. We in the church today, and the church hasn't changed in 2,000 years, prefer a business plan. And every business plan should have some kind of contingency plan, shouldn't it? Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, Matthew adds, no second tunic. You take the clothes on your back, you walk out the door, and you hit the road. We would say... Go out and get your MBA. You want this thing to fly right, to get off the ground? Give us at least a five-year plan. Yet this call of Jesus was enough to get his disciples out onto the road and to let God build his church. And God cannot be blamed if once built, the church chose to run herself on more worldly models. God made the world, and God made the world to be itself, contingent, which means dependent on God, and contingent, which means independent, free, subject to contingencies, which means free to do the wrong thing. So the institution came to serve not God in the world that God had made and now sought to redeem, but herself. Not the kingdom of God, but the kingdoms of this world. Not the prince of peace, but the prince of this world. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Well, Francis took that call literally. The tunic of unbleached wool, stained by sweat and toil and soil, the hard ground was girdled not by a leather money belt, but by a rope. Poverty, Lady Poverty, as he called her, was his constant friend but not his only friend. His other constant companions, chastity, and obedience were kept close. It was an otherworldly model. And if Ascasey's world denial were enough, and it was enough for so many saints, Francis would be the model. But with this world denial, there came something new into creation something which the church has had great difficulty in keeping its hands on. This extraordinary kinship with creation that was Francis' gift to the church and the world, this extraordinary sense of communion with creation, the world, and its creatures, not just for what they were and are in themselves, but from a sense of the holiness, goodness, and beauty of the world that God made, and the beauty of God that made it, shining through his creation. Our very first hymn, the one we sang in the Red, Back, Red Book, hymn number one, is a paraphrase of Francis Cantico del Sole, Canticle of the Sun, Written in 1224, one of his last works, one of the first texts to be composed in Italian, not in Latin. It is addressed to the altissimo omnipotente buon signore. Tu sole laude, le gloria, e l'onore et une benedizione. I don't have an Umbrian dialect, but there is a natural roughness and beauty to Italian. Most high, all-powerful, all-good Lord, all praise is yours, all-glory, all-honor, and all-blessing. To you alone, most high, do they belong. No mortal lips are worthy to pronounce your name. Fair enough. Very transcendent, therefore very good. But then the thing takes off. Be praised, my Lord, through, very important, this word Through, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, brother, son, who brings the day, and you give light through him. And he is beautiful and radiant in all his, of you most high, he bears the likeness. Wonderful stuff, bold stuff, and so on. Brother, son, sister, moon. Now, this is not the way the medievals thought with their great chains of being, their hierarchies of things, all emanating from the ideas, always from the ideas in God's mind, with man homo rationalis, near the top by dint of, you guessed it, his reason. The hymn goes on. Ora nostra matre terra, le quale le sustenta e governa, our mother earth who feeds and rules us, and so on, to our sister bodily death, from whose embrace no living person can escape, happy those she finds doing your most holy will. The text refutes the mechanistic determinism which finds expression supremely in Aquinas, and today, in which God is cause and creation simply effect. And creatures may put up, shut up, or rebel. That about defines it, by the way. But for Francis, these are real creatures. How many stories there are of Francis gently moving insects off his path? Insects, lest someone trod upon them. Or not just preaching to wolves, which he did with good effect, we are told, but exchanging what little he had with some A farmer on his way to market, so he could redeem a little lamb bound for slaughter. Wonderful stories. And as Francis lay dying, he asked to be stripped and laid naked so that he could spend his last moments on Mother Earth. Again, what an artist, what an image. Can you imagine Augustine dying naked on the ground or Aquinas? somebody poke out my mind's eye, please. (laughs) Now the irony in this, of course, is that Francis' corpse was not yet cold on Mother Earth, and the church and the world began the process of canonization, and when the church moved the way they moved for Francis, watch out. It means building bigger and building better, building him monuments of stone, of words, making of Francis an institution. The Basilica of San Francesco in Assisi was begun in 1226. Somewhere in there are his remains, housed in a very splendid shrine. This basilica is three churches in all. The upper church is especially resplendent with Francis' life story, told in the frescoes of Giotto and Cimebue, no less, the glory of its age and ours. Would that the cantico had been heard as well, with all respect to Giotto and Chimabue. Today, that cantico is beginning to heard again. Its words have special force in a world committed to a creation that cannot sustain man's every whim. A creation that groans from the return of its creator. A creation that will not feed all of our families. Thank you very much without some attention to its limits. A fragile world. Fragility, and that means things can go wrong in this world, and they do. Contingency, that means this world has independence. Room to make mistakes. Job calls out of this misery. Job asks why God has permitted, even condoned, the suffering he is going through where is the necessity of this job asks yet in the words that surface from the same depths where the whole of creation groans comes this text i know that my redeemer lives and at the last he shall stand upon the earth i shall see him job says I shall see him in the flesh. My flesh shall see his flesh. His flesh and my flesh shall stand together on the other side of death. This is the language of resurrection. So we need a Francis today. Not just to call on God to bless the earth not just for us to answer God's call to heal the earth, but for God to help us hear creation's voices and tune ours with theirs into the praise that is God's due. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever the elders god's covenant people old and new gather with his creation for an eternity of praise they cast their crowns upon the, the ground upon the, before the throne saying worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Doing God's will means doing God's work in God's ways. The first text we heard today about St. Francis was the Collect. Now look at this last. O God, you ever delight to reveal yourself to the childlike and lowly of heart. And then this, grant that following Francis' example, Francis is a saint, we are to follow his example, we may count the wisdom of this world as foolishness and know only Jesus Christ and, and him crucified. We may count the wisdom of this world, all its five-year plans, as so much foolishness. And learn, like Francis, to depend not on our own resources, but on God. To do God's work in God's ways. And the work we are to do is redemption. We are co-creators, as that beautiful hymn reminded us, that hymn which was written in the darkest days of World War II in Britain, hymn number 88. Look at that text again when you get a chance. The work is redemption, but the Redeemer who we know lives not just for us, for our families even, for our redemption but for the restoration of creation. If there is thanks to be given that we are hearing this call more and more, that it's not enough to look just for a rescue out of this mess, that we are called to stay the course here until the Lord Jesus returns in glory to sit upon his throne here, we can give Francis thanks for opening our eyes and our hearts to the scope of this work of creation. Inspired by the God who inspired him, the scripture that nurtured him, and the witness he gave, may we learn to do God's work in God's way, not ours. Amen.